We've been talking about prayer, and we are uh, on week five. I would encourage you to go back and listen. You know, it, it's not just been a prayer teaching on just pray, but how to get answers to prayer. And often, you know, people think, well, what do you mean get answers to prayer? Isn't it all on God? whether I get an answer to prayer or not. And we have said this and looked at various scriptures that the answers we get from God are more on us than they are on Him. Now, before you want to take me out to the hill in the back and crucify me, let's look at scripture because this would help us. You know, because some people would hear that and think, oh, how could you say such a thing to put all the responsibility on you? No, I'm not putting all the responsibility on me, but whether my prayers are answered or not has a lot to do with me. Are you with me? And so we're going to look at some different things here today that's going to help us. Because don't you want answers to prayer? And, and uh, so if you will, open up your Bible to Mark 11, 24. We've read this. We've said this, though. There are various types of prayer. And so um, we need to realize that, that, that there are various types of prayer that we can pray and there are different rules to different types of prayer. Uh, in other words, uh, I believe basketball is, you know, completely done now for the year. And uh, with the pandemic, they did it later. But, you know, now we're into baseball and then we'll get into football season. You don't get to use the same rules for all sports. Are you with me? Hockey and soccer may be similar in ways, but the rules are not the same. Could you imagine checking in soccer? I'd be like, this is kind of cool. Or, or you're allowed to tackle, you know, like football, in basketball. You know, you would start thinking, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we want 11 guys on the field instead of five on the court. You know, we're going to do 11 now. Well, we're going to win if I'm using those rules. There are different rules to prayer. So we maybe have said at times, you know, it's not about how long you pray, but there are times where in certain types of prayer, you would pray and spend and give extra time if you were seeking direction. Are you with me? So there's different rules to prayer. And, uh, but we're looking at certain fundamental principles about receiving things from God. Are you with me? And so Mark 11, 24 is Jesus teaching about prayer and teaching about faith. And uh, even if you've heard these verses, I would encourage you just to look at them with a fresh look. It says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them. Now, in the Greek, that word receive often means take it. To take it. When you pray, take it. Well, what is it you're taking? See, it's interesting because that puts prayer on my shoulders. Are you with me? But in one sense, when I'm talking to God, there's already a part that's been upon him. Because I cannot take 
what is not there. Are you with me? What is not in the Spirit, I cannot take. And that is a problem when it comes to prayer, is not knowing what is there. And then people pray and say, God, do this. They're not sure if he wants to or would. And they're not taking it. They're just kind of throwing it out there to see if it'll happen. Are you with me? And I understand, you know, uh, people pray the prayer and they attach this word to it. Well, Lord, do this if it be your will. Well, the only time we pray, if it be your will, is when we don't know his will. Are you with me? Do you want me to do this? Now, if it's something that's clear in the Bible, we wouldn't say, if it be your will. Would we? It would seem foolish, like if, you know, somebody, uh, you, you have a co-worker, you've been praying, God, you know, give me an opportunity or a neighbor to reach them, and then you got a chance to talk to them, and you're like, hey, you know, would you like to receive the Lord? And then, if it be His will, and then you pray, Lord, save them, if it be Thy will. How many of you would know that would not fly. You would be like, wait a minute, that, that's, that's not appropriate. You would never put if it be his will. You know why? Because you already know his will. You already know in the Bible what his will is. So if I'm praying between this house and this house, then I can say, which one would be better? Or should I get a car should I invest in this? I've never found where it says, you know, in the Bible, invest this into this stock. Are you with me? But if we pray, and just a side thought about it, pray with an open heart. Don't pray with your own intentions going in. Be willing to hear no or realize no, this isn't right or it is right. And then don't be pressured to act. Until you really, really know. That's a different kind of prayer though. But we're talking about here, you receiving or you taking. So if we're going to take something, we have to know what we can take. And the only things you can take in prayer, and the way you take them is this way. Not physically, but believing you get it trusting it becomes yours when you pray so when he says here uh whatever things you desire when you pray believe that you receive it or take it that's a heart taking you take it in your heart you believe in your heart it is yours then it says then you will have it or you could say it like this then after you'll have the experience so you have to believe you take it before you experience it. So if I believe I take something or get something, then I experience it, then I have to believe it's mine before I experience it. Are you with me? And that's important. And so when we look at prayer, we need to look and realize a lot of praying is on us. Are you with me? For example, me 
uh, going to pray, I need to know what is there for me to take. And the only way I can know what's there to take is realize what Jesus has already purchased. So in 2 Peter 1, it says this, and these things are so fundamental to faith and how faith is. You know, when people say, I have faith, faith is always based on knowledge. Knowledge of truth out of the word. I cannot believe for something I don't know belongs to me. You, you can't believe for salvation or to be saved or to be born again unless you know it's already provided. And then the thought comes down to this. If you know salvation is provided, you realize it's up to an individual. They're supposed to receive it. Or, like the Greek says, and believe you receive it, they're to take it. Are you with me? They're to take their salvation. Isn't that true? And, and if somebody didn't get saved, we wouldn't look at God and go, why didn't they get saved, Lord? We would, we would look to ourselves and look to them to see if they met the qualifications. You know, did they believe that Jesus died and rose again? Did they receive him? Because if they did, then they're saved. Are you with me? But the only reason we would look to God if somebody didn't get saved is we would say, Lord, show us where we're missing it or where they're missing it. Wouldn't you agree? But isn't it interesting we change the rules of prayer when it comes to other things like it's all on God and not on us. Why would we think such a way about one approach to prayer and think a different way? Could it be that we've been misinformed about prayer? And then we think, well, if I could just get enough people praying. But if enough people are praying, is that going to get the job done? It's got to be somehow somebody's got to take it. And if somebody doesn't take it, then they won't experience it. That doesn't mean it's not God's will. Are you with me? Somebody could pray, oh Lord, I've, you know, about salvation but never receive Him. They could be in church every week, but they would miss heaven, not because of God, but because they were not properly instructed or they didn't receive Him. Are you with me? And, and that is a huge, huge thing. We wouldn't look to God and go, where are you missing it? We would say, God, show me where I'm missing it, where I'm not connecting. And that is really what we should be doing when it comes to prayer. We should be looking, not to God per se, to do something, but how do I walk in this? Look at Second uh, Peter, the second book of Peter, the first chapter, and we're going to read verse 2 and 3. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus Christ, or Jesus our Lord. Notice that. Grace, everything God paid for, everything He purchased, uh, be and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Him. Notice verse 3. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, for your life, and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Many translations or other translations say they were given when you got to know Him. In other words, when you gave your life to the Lord, you got some kind of inheritance that covers all things that pertain to life and godliness. Are you with me? Whatever you would need actually is there. That's why we said, believe that you take it. So the question is, what are the all things that pertain to life and godliness? It's broad. We may not be taught that healing was provided. We may not be taught that deliverance was provided or provision was provided or peace of mind was provided or protection for you, protection for your family, whatever the thing is. And, they, and it's broad and you can look through Scripture and see that Christ purchased these things and when you came to know Him, uh, they became yours. They became your legal possession, whether you experience it or not. Whether I experience peace, divine peace or not, is not a matter of did God give it to me. It really comes down to am I possessing it? Are you with me? You need to realize it's already there and it is yours. And whatever it is, this is so important because it changes how you pray. Because then you're not praying and saying, God, do this. And if I don't experience it, I think, well, it's all on God. But if he has already purchased through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ all things that we need. And once you got saved, you have this massive inheritance and it is not just for the afterlife, it's for this life, then I need to go, well, if it is mine, then how, why am I not experiencing it? One reason could be because we're solely looking to God, thinking it's all on Him. But we recognize that anybody who would call on the name of the Lord after believing Jesus died and rose again in claiming Christ as their Lord then, the Spirit would react and go to work and salvation would be known by them. We, we know that. We, we see that. And it's a principle. If all things that we need have become ours, uh, then why hasn't God done something about it? Come on, God. Turn to Mark. Mark, the fourth chapter. And like I said, is it an issue of God or is it an issue of us? In, in other words, has God done his part and will react when we do our part? That's a good question. 
because we can recognize through Scripture, uh, Jesus, when he died, he stripped the devil of his power. And the power of darkness has to do with all ill. Are you with me? All things that bind and keep people in darkness. I mean, you know, we live in this earth and everybody encounters darkness at different times. You know, you could be about your own business and all of a sudden it feels like there's a headwind. Go to pray and it seems like there's something there. You know, I'm pushing forward. What is that? They're unseen forces. But if we just say, God, do something about this, he already has. It is your inheritance. He actually has stripped the devil of his power. The Bible calls them dethroned powers that are coming to naught. But these dethroned powers operate through ignorance. And when we don't know that we can resist him and he will flee from us, we might just go, what's the problem? We might think, what's wrong with us? There's nothing wrong with you. Nothing at all. You know, I, I, I've heard this over the years, when, when somebody, you know, a good Christian, all of a sudden they'll be going along with the Lord, and it seems like, man, they're just under an attack, and they'll go, what have I done wrong, Lord? That may not be the best question to ask the Lord at that time. Because if you could hear him, it may be uh, nothing. You've been actually doing everything right. What if Jesus, when he was led by the Spirit, and he was taking steps to get it, to live in God's will, and the Spirit of God came on him and then led him into the wilderness, and he was led to this place, but opposition came. What if his first prayer was, Lord, what have I done wrong? But he didn't think like that. He realized this that's coming against me is not God. I need to take my stand and possess the land. Are you with me? So Mark, the fourth chapter. Ready? We're only going to read one verse here. But most people know the context. Jesus tells this story about a preacher or a person who's hearing the word, somebody who's throwing the Bible truth out to people, and then there's people hearing. Now, you could do that yourself. You could read your Bible, you know, and get truth given to you. He called those things seeds, and he talked about accepting the word of God, believing what's being taught, you know, when you hear what belongs to you, those seeds are being thrown out. You have an inheritance, the Bible said, that's incorruptible. We're to pray we know our inheritance so that when we're reading, we would see what belongs to us now, not in the sweet by and by. Now that stuff's good, but I don't care about that. I already know it's good. I've got, I got life here. Are you with me? And so he's teaching here, and this is super important about people who are hearing the truth of God. Some people hear it, and immediately the devil steals it from them. They're by the wayside. They hear the word, and they go, yeah, whatever. I don't believe that. Then, then there's another group 
who they hear the word, but they don't look at the word and accept the word. Just the cares of this world come in, the worries of this life, and, and then that becomes their focus. They don't really hold on to the word of God. There's others that get distracted with different things and you know all this stuff, and they kind of let go of the word of God. Then there's a group who uh, stands and doesn't let the word of God get choked out of their life. They just embrace it. And, and the word then will produce for them. But what's interesting is what he said about those who would produce for them. Because basically, you could say it like this. If somebody says, you know, and I've had people do this. You know, the cares, desires of this world choke the word. I, I've literally witnessed to somebody and, and more than one, and, and them say, yeah, I believe what you're saying is true, but I've got too much life to live to give my life to the Lord. Literally. I, I, and, and, the, and they explain some of the life, and I'm like, that's not life. That's sin. That's going to hurt you. It, you know, that's not good. And they, they, they let the Word of God go. Are you with me? But to the one who hears the word of God and goes, I believe that, there's an interesting statement Jesus made right here. And we're talking about getting answers to prayer or to experiencing what is already your inheritance. Notice what Jesus said to the one who wouldn't just go, ah, forget that. You know, I've got this to do or, you know whatever, and quits believing and holding on, but to the person who totally accepts the Word of God, he makes this fascinating statement about them reaping, uh, harvesting the truth, the answer. And it's right here in verse 29. But when the grain ripens, in other words, when the Word of God becomes real, you recognize it. Immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the person who hears the word of God and accepts it. Notice who puts in the sickle? God? Somebody's like a sickle, like a popsicle? What are you talking about? No, a sickle is... Uh, you know, we would, we would say something like this today. You use the combine. A sickle was a, a thing that would have a big long blade and they would swing that and cut down what they were going to make bread from or grain, get grain from and sell in market. What they needed, they were going to take it. They were going to take it. He said, when you see the truth and you recognize it, you have to take it. You have to put in the sickle. Remember we said it's not so much up to God as it is me because the Bible reveals to me and to you and to the world what the Lord has already provided. And I have to put in the sickle. I have to harvest what I want. Now I know that's not what a lot of people think 
or say because it's not that catchy. Like, you know, if Jesus is in your boat, you won't sink. No, if Jesus is in your boat, there's a possibility you will sink. But it sure preaches good. But you don't have to sink. Are you with me? Jesus said to Peter, come walk on the water, but it wasn't all on Jesus. Are you with me? Peter was harvesting the walking while he was believing what the Lord said was more powerful and real than anything he was facing, even though the enemy of wind and waves was blowing. It was up to him to harvest that. It was up to him to possess it. Did the Lord want it for him? Absolutely. But it was up to him to possess it, so to speak. And when we talk about praying, uh, it's an opportunity for you to take something. Are you with me? When you pray. Now, look at this verse in Deuteronomy, the first chapter. And these, the Bible said in the New Testament, were written for examples to us who would believe. So there are examples of how people did things in the Old Testament that are examples for us. I don't know about you, but we're told to watch people who get faith results and then follow their faith. Are you with me? And so he gives these examples for the purpose of us seeing the principle and putting it into practice. Because some people are praying but are not possessing. And it's up to me and to you to possess the land. Notice this in Deuteronomy uh, 1 verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Notice, he promised, this is yours. This, this belongs to you. This belongs to you. This is what we tell people when we reach people. Salvation belongs to you. We just want them to possess it. We don't need to change those rules. We need to realize whatever you need, you can possess it right now. That's a good thing to get your head changed to. We can possess that right now. We, we can do this right now. And notice he promised it to them to give it to them and their descendants after them, but he said, possess it. Do something. Notice this in Deuteronomy, the second chapter, and the 31st verse. 2, 31. And you'll see something here that even clarifies it more. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sion... And his land over to you. 
In other words, the Lord said, this is yours. I'm giving it to you. Begin to possess it. That you may inherit it. You could say it like this. It's yours. Do you want to experience it and live in it? Then he said, begin to possess it. You take and tread upon it, so to speak. Because he said, wherever the sole of your foot treads, it will be yours. If your foot doesn't go there or you don't take possession, you won't experience it. Are you with me? But it's yours to be experienced. Notice this in Numbers, just the book before, 33, verse 53. This should help us all because we can see in the Scripture the things that belong to us. One way to start possessing these things is to believe that they are yours. Begin to declare before you experience it, it is mine. Then begin to act like it's yours. Because it is yours. And that thing will come into being. Because it's there. But we do the possessing. Notice this. 33.53 You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land. That meant that something was in the place of what belonged there. In other words, God had given them something, given them promises, but something contrary to it was being experienced or was there. So he said, you are going to have to dispossess this. In other words, you're going to have to go drive these people out. But notice this. You go dispossess the inhabitants of the land and then dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess. Think about it. For a person who doesn't know the Lord, He's already given them the land. They need to go possess it. And then they need to drive the things off, so to speak, that are trying to stick around. Are you with me? In other words, I'm to possess this full salvation by experience. Everybody alive and well today? That means you are capable and I am capable to experience whatever the Lord has provided. It's up to me and to you. Know this, God will always keep his part. And often what happens when we have failures or someone has a failure, they, they start looking to God like, what God have you done here? How come you didn't do this? And it wasn't about God not doing it. It was about individuals possessing or not possessing. Are you with me? In other words, if when I got saved, I got delivered from all kinds of things and experienced it. 
But that doesn't mean you're not going to get tempted later on. Why? Because those things that used to possess the land, uh, the Bible said they'll come back. And they'll tempt you. Nobody ever been tempted since you were saved? Why? They're going to work through ignorance. They're going to want to try and take advantage. They're going to want you to go back and allow them to occupy the place they came from. And we dispossess them. We refuse to allow them in, and we can do it. And this works across the board. Are you with me? It's up to me to possess the land God has given to me. And it's up to you, and you're capable of it. Let me say that again. You are capable of it. You just need to know it's on you. See, when you realize it's more on me, then you don't have to look and go, Lord, am I perfect enough or whatever? Do I smell good enough to do this, you know? Do I have the right perfume or cologne on? No, you can just do it. See, the enemy would be the one who said, well, you're not perfect enough yet to possess it because he would like you not to go possess it. For you to sit back and go, it's not time for me to do that because I'm not good enough yet. If I was more perfect, then I could go do that. Those lies are not from God. He wants you to go up and possess it at once. Notice this, a familiar verse, Psalm 23. This is not a funeral uh, verse, though it's read at many of them. Psalm 23. We all probably have heard it. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm full of want. No, I shall not want. Notice, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides uh, still waters. So if he's leading, I have to participate in following. It says, he restores my soul. Now, he'll lead you into restoring your soul, but he's not just going to fix your mind. But he will lead you so you walk in the peace and whole mind. He leads you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right there, that proves this is not about people going to heaven. This proves this is about the here and the now. I mean, how many people have you ever read? I don't know. To me, it's interesting when you hear stories of people who had out-of-body experiences, you know. Uh, years ago, when I was a little kid, uh, somebody in Southern California was sitting on their, or standing on their balcony. I don't know if it was like a three-story apartment and uh, had a metal rail, you know, that were bolted into the sides. And, and he leaned up against it doing something, and the rail was not connected well, and down he went. Landed on his head, and is declared dead. He experienced heaven, they resuscitated him, and he wrote a book about it. I don't ever remember him saying, oh yeah, I remember when I was in heaven, I remember the valley of the shadow of death up there. 
It's a tough, tough thing. How many of you think, and when we're with the Lord forever, we're going to be like, um, heaven is awesome, but be careful about going through the valley of the shadow of death over there. It's a bad neighborhood. We're probably thinking, wonder who's going to end up living there in heaven. Maybe them. No, no. You know, it's not like an amusement park, and, and then that's the valley. It's the fun zone, and that's the valley of the shadow of death. No, we realize the valley of the shadow of death is here. This is a literal location in Israel. But it, it, it's symbolic of living in this earth. We live in the shadow of death. When the Lord returns, there will be no more dying. There will be no spiritual death. There will be no more of that. The former things will be gone. But we live in the shadow of spiritual death. We can see its effect. Why do people believe in evolution? The shadow of death. It's the enemy. Why do people believe that the Bible is not what the Bible is? It's the enemy. We live in the shadow of death. And why do the bad things happen? Not because of God, because God has provided, but because we live in the shadow of death. Even though the enemy has been defeated, when people don't know, they don't dispossess him, and these things occur. But notice, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're never going to have to say that in heaven. Basically, you're just going to be like, Oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. You're going to be walking by people all the time going, oh, oh. And they're like, what's up? Oh, it's so good here. Oh, wait till you get over by the shadow of death. Never. That's here. He said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. These are tools or weapons of a shepherd to help. We're not going to need that in heaven. Notice this, though, because we're talking about possessing the land that belongs to us, or prayer should be an opportunity for us to go take it. And it's okay for you to go pray and take things. I know that sounds weird. Because people have this idea, you're telling me I can just um, go in prayer and just take something? See, I grew up like this where we were taught when you go to somebody else's home, you just don't take things. You don't go look in the refrigerator. I mean, I was appalled, this one friend of mine, Rich, his name was Rich. He would come to my house. He'd just walk right in the kitchen and just open up the refrigerator. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm trying to see what there is to eat in here. I'm like, you just can't do that. I never went to his house and thought. And even if he's like, let's see what there is to eat, I'd just stand there and go, okay. Are you with me? But you never went to somebody else's house and just opened up the refrigerator and just went, wonder what's in here. But he did. You know, I wonder, he may not think the way I do or did about prayer. 
You know, but some people are like, you can't just go in there and take that. Some people believe in Costco uh, little handouts more than they do God. You know, there's a little tray there, and you can just go up and grab one. I mean, I've never done this at Costco. Go to grab it and go, if it be thy will, is it? No, we know it's already there. It's already provided. The big thing is you just don't want to look like a slob, you know, and just... Maybe you do. I don't know. But, you know, just... But it was there for you to take. That's why they put it there. It's nice, I'm sure, to say thank you, but really the provision is there for you to take it. And so when you tell somebody uh, one type of prayer that we can see readily in the Bible is you going and taking stuff. But some people think, well, man, we're dealing with God. I understand but God is the one who set it up this way, not me. And, and if we would teach our kids this and get our thinking straight in this and just go, listen, you can just go take that. It's okay. Are you with me? Just go take it. You, remember, you can't take what's not there, so you find out what's there. I mean, what if God put it there, but you never took it? And you just said, oh, God, give me that. And he's like, it's yours. Take it. Oh, God, give me that. And he's like, I already gave it to you. If you kept begging for salvation, the only thing, or the new birth, God would just say it's already yours. We, we think this way in some spiritual areas, but then we exclude this kind of thinking in others. Because isn't it true? We would tell people, just take your salvation now. Wouldn't you? You would tell people, take it. You would, but you realize this, they got to be the one to take it. So he's encouraging us here to take it. Take it. Possess it. And if, I mean, and if you went to a place where they had, I mean, we all know where the free stuff is, right? Come on. You know what I'm talking about? You know where in the mall you get the free stuff? Seize candy. Just go in, do the little walk in and walk through, and then they'll give you a sample. Walk out the door and go back in the door again. You know what I mean? You do the same, you do that at Costco. And, and isn't it true, you go out of your way to go possess the land. I do. At Christmas, they have those round things that are wrapped, the chocolate ones. Lindora, I think it is. Isn't that? Some people are frowning. Those people just are in the dark. Um, and, you, you know, you just keep going up and possessing the land until your cup runs over, right? And you're full and satisfied. And, and you go, I didn't even have to pay that price for those. But the Lord is our shepherd is the day and age we live in. Are you with me? I've said this before, and I think it bears repetition. The 22nd Psalm 
if you look back, you can look at the 16th verse. There's other verses uh, that say things like this. Uh, well, verse 15, the last part says, And my tongue cleaves to my jaw, and you have brought me to the dust of death. Well, the Lord, when he was on the cross, his tongue clove to the roof of his mouth. And in, in this scripture right after says, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. I count my bones and they look and stare at me. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. The 22nd Psalm is telling us it's a prophecy of the crucified Christ. He's now risen. The 23rd Psalm is teaching us about the present day Christ as our shepherd. And if you look at the 24th Psalm, it talks about the earth and the things being full of the glory of God. And it literally is talking about after this time we live on the earth. But this is a scripture teaching us about our life here. Now I say that because of this verse right here. You, notice this verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You put out the samples. You can't receive what he hasn't paid for. So it's imperative for us to study to know what is technically yours to possess. And so if he says it's yours, then you can believe it's yours and begin to declare it and begin to act like it. Are you with me? If he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, then that means the problem is there, but so is the solution. Here's the interesting thing. If I prepared a table before you, I'm going to have you guys over. Lindsay's like, yeah, is it going to be good? Oh, it's going to be awesome. And Matt's all, feed me. And then Lindsay's all, give me some too. Give me more. How many of you would think, um, something's wrong here. Why does he have to hand feed them? I mean, it might even be funny once or twice to do it for their kids. But unless they're an infant, if I prepare a table before you, you need to go eat it yourself. Wouldn't it just seem odd if, if I had to feed you? Oh yeah, it'd be fun one time because we'd all laugh. After that, and some of us would just go, this, this isn't even funny. 
Are you with me? But notice, the Lord has prepared a table. He has provided all things that pertain to life and godliness, Ephesians, the first chapter says. You have an inheritance. Peter said the same thing. He's already provided it, but often we're saying, feed me, God. And I'm telling you right now, it might be funny for me to put it in their mouth one time, but we're going to stop real quick. And if you know me, and I'm not saying God's like this, I might just shove it in your face. That's the truth. But that doesn't mean I didn't prepare a table for them, for whatever they would want. But you recognize if he prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies, then should we be focusing on our enemies or should we be focusing on what's on the table? That's part of possessing the land. Remember when the serpent on the brazen pole, when God brought the children of Israel out, he provided healing for them and he prepared, you could say, a table before them in the presence of their enemy. But he said, you have to be the one to possess it. You have to be the one to look to the brazen serpent and not look at the problem. And when you fix your gaze on that, you'll walk in it. Are you with me? Did God provide it? Was the thing there for whosoever will? Didn't matter if you were better or worse than somebody else. All you had to do was possess it yourself. You were responsible to possess it. Are you with me? I better stop. Didn't realize it went this long. But it's up to us. Recognize that if God said, by whose stripes you're healed, or he took your infirmities, or Christ became a curse, so that the curse that came for breaking the law, which would affect all these different areas, which included mental stuff, uh, physical stuff, skin things, uh, families being robbed and kidnapped and, you know, just junk, you know, through business dealings, all that stuff that's called a curse. Christ became a curse for us. We just need to start looking at these things. It says so that the blessing of Abraham would come upon us. Not by works, but through trust. We need to know these samples or these things are there for the taking. It would help us because we don't want to do this. Oh, I'm just praying and waiting on God. We can possess it. Yes. 